If you were overwhelmed by the love of God, would you just say amen with me this morning? Amen. 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 Well, good morning. We're glad you guys are here this morning, and uh, we're going to continue in our series called Conflicted by Grace. I was doing some research a few weeks ago, and just one of those moments, have you ever been at the computer and you're on it so long, you just kind of decide, hey, I'm going to check out what's just on Yahoo News because I just need a, a mental break. And so I was scrolling through Yahoo News, and, and I, I came across an article that I found really interesting, and it was one of these articles that had like a gazillion links inside the article. And if you know anything about that, you have to be careful where they take you, right? You got to be careful what links you choose. But this article was about weddings, and it was talking about the weddings in America every year, like how many weddings and the cost of weddings. And, and so they were telling stuff like, you know, on the low end of a wedding in America could be somewhere between like, you know, ten dollars to $15,000 on the low end of a wedding. And can you guess what the high end was? 30, yeah, thirty dollars to $40,000. Uh, that's like a really nice car, right? And so it's on the high end of that. And so I began to click these links to talk about you know, what, 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 are, what are the expenses of those weddings? So, and I began to look through them and some of the expenses related to the venue, some of the expenses related to the food that was, they're going to be fed there. Some was the photographer and the flowers. But the one that got me, the one I looked at and go, are you kidding me? Was the one that was allocated invitations, right? On the low end wedding, those weddings that are ten dollars to $15,000. The average one of those weddings spend between $1,500 and $3,000 just on invitations alone. Now, I started thinking, okay, Sonia and I, when we got married over 25 years ago, we made homemade invitations. Anybody else do that one? We made like homemade that you had to fold them up yourself and, and hope they fit into an envelope kind of deal. So I can't imagine spending $1,500 to almost $3,000 on invitations. And if it was a high-end wedding, those thirty to forty thousand dollars, they would spend anywhere from six to eight thousand dollars just on invitations. Now, look, because I'm, I'm, I'm like, I got questions, so I keep searching. That's not counting postage, all right? So I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of money, right? Now, here's a question: Why do people spend so much money sending out? Listen. On wedding invitations. Now, let me put this in perspective. Last year, in 2018, there were 2.1 million weddings here in America. That means invitations, in case you want to know this, invitation people is a over $2 billion industry. If you're looking for a career, I got one for you. Invitations, right? Now, when you think about that, why do people spend that much money on invitations for a wedding? See, that's not even counting birthday invitations. I'd even look into like retirement invitations, graduation. I mean, this is weddings. Why do people spend that kind of money? Why did Americans spend between 2 and $7 billion last year just on invitations? Here's why. Because they believe, those people that are sending those out, they, they want those they love and they know to share in that experience with them, don't they? And at some point... Money, I know that all the men are going to cringe when I say this, at some point, money becomes irrelevant to the experience, right? Because they want people to experience their loved ones getting married, and even though it's costly, even though it's a lot of money, we want everybody to feel welcome, and so they send out invitations. Now, if many of you are thinking like I am, well, what if you're on the other side of the, the, the invitation? You're the recipient of the invitation. Now, when we receive this invitation, there's something in us all that knows the value of that invitation, don't we? We know the value that when we got it, somebody wants me to attend to be part of a moment in their child's life or a moment in their life. They want me to experience them, this moment with them. Now, how many men who love Jesus and really want to be honest would say this in the room today? 
that when you get the mail before your wife and you find there's invitations in there, you try to discard them as quickly as you can before your wife ever knows they've come. Anybody? Oh, you lying man. Okay, liars, you know. Or, or and then eventually you tell your, your wife, you know, I don't know. I never saw that. I don't know what came, right? Because why? Because we understand the weight of that. And we also understand the weight of if we don't go, right? If we get this invitation to this wedding or this whatever and we choose not to go, we know that it potentially can cause hurt. So invitations are a big deal in America. Now, why am I making such a big deal? Wedding invitations? Because today we're going to look at a parable Jesus told. It's in Matthew 22. It's a parable about the greatest invitation that was ever sent out. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there with me. Matthew chapter 22. And as we look at this passage, there's really four things I want to draw out. And at the end, I want us to think about how in the world does this passage relate to me? Where do I fit into this? Now, instead of reading the whole passage, I just kind of want to walk through it today. So if you just read with me verses 1 through 6, it says this, Matthew 22, verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them. Now, let me tell you what and again means real quick. Remember, we're in the last week of Jesus' life, right? So on Sunday, he's come in the triumphal entry, right? Monday, he spends in Bethany hanging out. Tuesday, he goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple. Are you with me on that one? He turns over tables. He chases out the, the, you know, he says, you made my house a den of thieves. And he chases them out and then he leaves the city. And then on Wednesday, he comes back in. Last week, we talked about the withering of the fig tree. Jesus comes in, he he curses the fig tree, and he's on his way to the temple to teach again. So that's where we're at at this point. So Jesus now in the temple teaching the people are listening, and guess who also is in the room? The religious leaders, right? They were always in the room, and so they're in the room. So here we go, verse 1, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying this, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for a son, and he sent his son's servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would come not, where they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves, and have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off onto their own farm to another to a business, while the rest seized the servants, treating them shamefully, and even what? Killed them. Now, when you look at this, I want you to notice a couple of things here before we get into the, really the first thing I want to draw out is that Jesus compares this wedding feast to the kingdom of heaven. Now that's it, listen, I'm going to make a big deal of this because as we go through this parable, everything is a parallel between a king's feast and the kingdom of heaven. For example, the king's feast, he sent out invitations to invite a group of people to be part of his feast. Well, the kingdom of heaven is also a, a community of people who've been sent out an invitation to grace, and when they receive that grace, they're part of the kingdom of heaven. So in both categories, you have this sense of community. Now, when he sends out this, he tells this parable of this wedding feast, even the people of the day, if they had never, ever, ever been to a wedding feast, they understood the implications of a king sending out an invitation for his son. Now, think about it for a moment. If you're back in that day and time, I mean, we don't do this today. Thank the Lord for this one. I mean, because we'd all be broke. But in that day and time, a wedding feast, anybody know how long a wedding feast, a celebration would last? Anybody know? Anybody know? Come on, talk to me. Come on, wake up this morning. Come on. How long do you think it lasts? You're going to be wrong. It's okay. Nope. A week, seven days. The wedding celebration was seven days. And mama, the bride, and, got to pay for, and daddy got to pay for all that. 
That's exciting, isn't it? I have all boys, so that would be really nice if we'd go back to that one, right? And so they had this week-long thing. Now, the thing is, this king has sent out invitations, and he sends his gathering out because he wants all these people to come to his son's wedding feast. Now, you understood, even if you didn't know anything about weddings, here's what you knew. The king, now he's not just like an average Joe, it's the king. And he's invited us to go to his son's wedding feast. I mean, he's getting married, and we get to go. This is like if the royal family, somebody got married, and you got invited. And you get to go. You're one of the select few that get to go be part of this. I mean, would you move heaven and earth to go? This, this kind of feast. That's what's going on here. And so Jesus parallels the kingdom of heaven to a wedding feast. And those people that day understood the weight that a king has invited us to his son celebration. This is an event that everybody wants to be a part of. Nobody can wait for this one. I mean, it's like on the calendar, and we are counting down the days. And when we get a chance to go, we are all in. But that's not what happened, is it? Look what happens in verse 3. Because what we see, first of all, is a rejection of this invitation. Look with me in verse 3 again. A rejection of this invitation. Verse 3 says this. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to come to the wedding feast, but they would not what? come. They would not come. Now, the thing about it, I want you to notice is that Jesus, first of all, talks about this king sends out this first group of servants. And they went out, and, they, and if you notice, the invitations had already gone out, right? Now, remember, there's a parallel between the wedding feast and the kingdom of heaven. We're going to get there. He sends out these invitations, and so now the servants go, not handing out invitations, but going to those who'd already been invited and said, hey, the time's now. The king has been preparing for months, maybe for years, for this moment, for this celebration, the king has been prepping and getting ready for this moment, this climactic moment. You've already got the invitations out there. Now it's time for you all to come join me. Let's all go to the celebration, right? That's the kind of invitations going on here. That's the call to the crowd. But the Bible says here that they would not come. Now the phrase would not is in the imperfect tense, which means they persistently refused. It wasn't like, oh, I forgot that. I put something else on my calendar. Or, hey, you know, I'm just sick. I, I just can't go. That's not the, that's the, the whole would not come is not because they had a conflicting schedule. It wasn't because they were ill. The would not come is the imperfect tense means when they were invited, hey, you've got the invitation. The king has been prepping. He wants you in his presence. They were like, we're not going. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say. We don't want to go. We don't want to have anything to do with the feast of the son of our king. We want to have nothing to do with it. We aren't coming. Now think about that for a moment. Is that an insult to the king? Come on, would that be an insult to the king? You better believe it would be. This king who showed grace and mercy and invited people who did not belong at his celebration, and he invited them, and, he's, and he sent out his servants. They go, hey, the time is now. The preparation is done. Let's all go. And they go, we're not going. And there's nothing you're going to say that's going to make me go. What an insult that would have been to the king. Heaven and earth should have moved for them. They should have at any cost said, we're going. We've been invited. You've called us. You've beckoned us. Man, we're there. We've been ready. We've been waiting for this moment. But that's not how they responded. And if you think it doesn't get any worse than that, look with me in verse 4 through 6. Look what happens next. It says this. 
Again, he sent other servants. So this is the second round. Saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves, and have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest were seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and they killed them. And so he sends out this first group and says, hey, everybody, come on. They're like, we're not going. Nothing you're going to say, nothing you're going to cause us to do, we're going to go. And then he sends out a second group. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. The king has been insulted, right? And so if he sends out a second group, is that not an act of grace? Come on, is that not an act of grace? I mean, I think when you see the second sending out, we see the patience of the king. I mean, this king has been insulted like no other. I mean, he's offered an invitation to those who don't deserve it, and he's made all this preparation. Look what he's done. The oxen, the calf. I mean, he's made the preparation. He said, hey, let's all come in. They're like, we're not going. What a slap in the face. But this king doesn't just let his insult lead to anything else. He shows grace, and he's patient. Think about it. With all the insult that's come his way, and yet he still offers another call. Isn't that interesting? With all the insult that comes his way, and he still offers another invitation for them to come. Now, here's the difference in the first call and the second call, and it comes back to this word in verse 4. He says, being everything is ready, come to the wedding feast. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to circle that word come, because that word come is in the imperative tense, and here's what it means. It's not a request, it's a demand. He's not saying, hey, everybody just come on if you want to. This time they were to go out and go, listen, come. Now he's commanding you. Let me give you a good modern day example. Your kids, when you tell them to take out the trash, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like I'll just use David as an example because David doesn't care. And, and so, right, David? Yeah, David doesn't care. So anyway, so I said, hey, David, why don't you take out the trash? Now, what does most teenagers say at that moment? Oh, my teenager says, yeah, when do you want me to do it? Right now, is that good for you? No, 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 no. What, what does everybody say? Later. Can I do it later? Can I do it tomorrow? And then there's that moment as a parent, you go, no, I really want you to take it now. Dad, come on, I want, I want to do it later. And then there's a moment something changes in you, and you go, I'm not asking. I'm telling you. Take the dadgum trash, right? That's what's going on here. This first, this first invitation was, hey, you, you've got the invitation, and he's ready. He's prepped it. Let's all go. And they're going, no, we're not going. And then they go back out and go, listen, it's all ready. Everything's in place. He's made all the preparations necessary, and he's not asking you now. He's telling you. Come on. Come to the wedding feast. Now, it was almost as if nobody refuses the king. But what happened? They did. And not only did they refuse the king, the Bible says they turned violent, right? Not only they refused the king, look what it says here. Let's go back to verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and they killed them. I mean, they not only refused, now they turned violent. Now they start mistreating people and killing them. This is a direct act of rebellion on their part. Now, I want to pause for a moment because I want you to understand the picture here. Remember, Jesus comparing the kingdom of heaven to like a king who threw a wedding feast. So what is the comparison here? Well, the first group of people that sent out the servants represent the Old Testament prophets. 
The ones who were going out talking about the kingdom that was coming. Isaiah is a beautiful picture of that. One who was going out talking about the one who's going to come. And he will be wounded for our transgressions. He'll be bruised for our iniquities. I mean, Isaiah 53 is a beautiful picture of the Messiah that was going to come and the price that he was going to pay. And so all these Old Testaments, had gone, the prophets had gone out and been telling Israel for generation after generation, hey, let's come, let's follow God. I mean, there's a moment coming in our history where God's going to bring the Messiah, and the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to set us free, and he's going to die for us, and he's gonna, we're going to have salvation. Hey, let's all go celebrate. That time is coming. Let's get ready for that. And they're like, we're not doing it. You look at all of Israel's history. How many times did Israel rebel? I mean, I get tired thinking about it. That's just the book of Judges. That's not the other books of the Old Testament. Over and over again, even when Jeremiah, my favorite Old Testament prophet, stands and tells them, if you don't change your ways, a foe from the north Babylon, they're coming and they're going to destroy us. And guess what they want to do? Kill Jeremiah. They didn't want to believe Jeremiah. Well, guess what happened in 587 BC? The foe from the north came and destroyed Judah, destroyed the temple, and took all all the Israelites into Babylon. At least the smart ones, the rest of them they killed. They wouldn't listen over and over and over again. So there's a parallel here. This first group of servants sent out by the king is a picture of the prophets of the Old Testament who went preparing them and they refused it. But then you've got the second group that are sent out. The second group that goes out, who do they represent? Well, it's easy. They represent John the Baptist and Jesus himself. Remember, there was a 400-year gap between the Old Testament last prophet and the New Testament. And the first prophet we have in the New Testament is John the Baptist. And he goes to prepare the way of the Lord. You remember what John the Baptist said as he was baptizing that day? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist was to prepare the way for Christ. Do you think he was telling people about the Messiah to come? You better believe it. And then there's Jesus, right? Now Jesus' ministry is not, is not, is not like, you know, uh, like antsy about saying that he's the Messiah. Now he's just flat out saying, hey, I am who you say I am. I mean, he, he's acknowledging who he is. And over and over again, they would not only mistreat him, but what would eventually they do to Jesus? They would crucify him and kill him. And so the point is this, is that for these religious leaders listening in the temple that day, it's more than a parable. It's not just about a king who threw a party for his son. They're beginning to pick up the imagery. He's talking about our heavenly father. And they sent word to Israel of old. And they rejected. And now he's sending word to the Israel of new, which is the Jewish nation. And we've rejected it. And not only have we rejected it, now we've become violent. I mean, this was a harsh message for the religious leaders to hear. But the message gets harsher. Look with me in the very next couple of verses, verse 7 and 8. It says this. The king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned the city. Then he said to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not what? Worthy. Worthy. They weren't worthy. Now, it's interesting here that this king has gone from patience to what? Enraged. A king that once extended grace now is going to extend wrath. And it says here the king sent out people to, to, to punish them and to destroy them. And you say, okay, Doug, well, what's the parallel though there? Well, in 70 AD, for almost 40, a little 40 years after Jesus' resurrection, the temple was destroyed. The temple in Israel, totally destroyed. 70 AD. And so that was a, this is almost a foreshadowing of what was to come. 
And so he says, listen, the king that was once patient, the king once extended grace, now he's enraged. Now he's put up because you didn't reject him once. Now you've rejected him twice. And you've not only mistreated his servants, now you've put them to death. Enough is enough. And so the second thing I want you to see is the punishment for those rejecting the invitation. We have the rejection of the invitation, but now we see the punishment. That there's going to be those that come that are going to destroy and take over. But you notice something he said here. Those that were originally invited are not worthy. Now, I find that phrase interesting because these are the same people who obviously were important enough that they got an invitation, right? Come on, anybody ever sent out invitations before? Okay, anybody send out wedding invitations to your kids? Let me see your hands. Come on, you got to work with me today, anybody. All right, so did you sit down and go, I don't really care about any of these people, so I'm going to send them an invitation. Did you ever do that? Who did you send invitations to? Those you loved, you care about, and the ones you feel like family that you kind of had to invite. Kind of, I mean, you send them out to those, right? Right? And if you're not laughing, you might be that family member, right? So you did that. So apparently the king sent out invitations to those that was important to him, but now he deems them unworthy to even be there. Why? Here's the point that the king and Jesus is trying to make through this parable. It's this. It's that when you think about this, when you think about what's going on, their works and their performance didn't entitle them to be invited. Because they had worked so hard and because they had done so much, that's great stuff. But that's not what got them the invitation. Their works did not deem them important enough to get an invitation. Grace did. They received the invitation just because of grace. I mean, grace is what gave them the invitation, not their performance. And therefore, when they rejected grace, entry into the party was no longer a possibility. Now, do you see the imagery here? Come on, do you see that imagery? There are people all day long, maybe people in this room today, that you're trying to get into heaven on your good works and your performance and how good of a person you are, even though the Bible says there's no one good, no, not one. You're trying to work your way into heaven. And listen to me, you're going to stand before a holy God one day, and here's what you're going to find out, that your good works on your best day, you're never going to enter in. It's never going to happen for you. What it requires is grace. See, these people didn't get invited because they were awesome. They got invited because the king showed them grace. Grace got them the invitation. But because they rejected it, entry into the wedding feast was no longer an option. Now, I want you to hear me for just a moment. I get asked sometimes a couple of questions. One question is this. Hey, Doug, what is the sin the Bible talks about that sin is unto death? Or, hey, Doug, what is the unpardonable sin? This is what it's talking about. The unpardonable sin and the sin of the death is this. Listen to me. There's no sin. Now, some people, there's, if some of you maybe grew up in a denomination that said suicide was a sin, I'm just going to tell you that's not right. It's not that. The sin unto death and the unpardonable sin is when we leave this world, we die rejecting the grace of God. When we die denying the person and the work of Jesus and giving our life to him, that is the sin that's unpardonable. Because when we die, the Bible says the point of once for man to die, and then what? The judgment. And when we die, it's it. And if you accepted Christ, heaven is your reward. And if you deny Christ, hell is going to be your eternal home. No second chances after death. And so he's kind of drawing that idea that there's a punishment coming. And the punishment is, you rejected my grace. And so now, you're not allowed to attend the wedding feast. And so for those who reject the grace of God, they're not allowed entry into heaven. And then the third thing I want you to notice is good news for us is in verse 9 and 10. It says this. Go therefore, he speaks to the servants. To the main roads and invite, uh, and, and, and sorry, go to the main roads 
and gather those that you find, both the bad and the good. So the wedding hall has been filled with guests. So he basically says, hey, listen, I want you to go the highways and the byways. I want you to get anybody who's breathing, the good and the bad, and I want you to bring them to the wedding hall. I want them to be part of the feast. Now, think about that for a moment. This is beautiful because we first have this rejection of the invitation. Then we see the punishment for rejecting the invitation. Now we see the invitation is for everybody. Right? Are you with me on that? The invitation started with the nation, Israel. And they rejected and rejected and rejected him. And now the invitation goes to even the Gentiles. Right? And he says, listen, I want you to go to the highways and the byways. And I want you to bring anybody in. And he uses a phrase here, the bad and the good. Now, the word good here represents those who are morally upright in their own mind. They're morally upright. And the bad represents those who are morally assessable, right? <laughs> People that are the, the scum of the earth. Now, why would he draw this comparison? Is he saying, hey, I want to get the really good people and the really bad, 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 bad people. And let's bring them all in. No, no, no. What he's saying is, I want you to get everybody, the, the most elite in their own mind and the worst in their own mind. Why? Because both are equally in need of salvation. Both are equally in need of God's grace. Right? You can't be good enough to get in, and you can't be bad enough that always keeps you out because God's grace transcends your sin. You can't sin so much that God's grace won't reach you. Are you with me on that? If you're with me, say amen. amen. And so he's sending this message there that the invitation now goes to everyone. This is good news that now, now all are invited to receive his grace. Guess what? That means us. Gentiles, those that aren't Jewish people by birth and descent, we are now included into the kingdom. This is good news. And then there's a fourth thing I want you to notice that seems really odd. All right, now listen to me. You've seen this parallel between the kingdom of God and you've seen this parallel between the, the wedding feast and the king's invitation. And we've seen this rejection and now we've seen this punishment and now we see the invitation goes to everybody. So right now we're kind of tracking, aren't we? We're tracking with the, the idea of the parable. If we're tracking, say amen. Okay, great, half the room, great. So the rest of us will catch up. But so, so this gets a little odd all of a sudden because we got that track in that way. And look what happens in verse 11 through 14. But when the king came in to look at the guests, so he enters the hall, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendant, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called but few are chosen now here's what happens and I want you to write it down an intruder is cast out now that's a really interesting point because we've had a rejection of invitation and then there's been this punishment for Israel now we find out the invitations for everybody but yet the king kicks out somebody are you with me on that is that confusing to you as well everybody's welcome and I'm kicking you out, right? Now, the reason I, the thing about this that's interesting to me is that this guy is punished because he's dressing improperly. Now, this means he's not a wedding crasher. He didn't like to just show up, but he's not dressed properly. And you say, well, Doug, what does it matter what he looks like? Well, think about it for a moment. We don't understand their culture. Their culture was a seven-day feast. It was a seven days of celebration. And what you wore to the wedding mattered. You had to have the proper attire. But here's a question for you. If these servants went out and grabbed everybody, the bad and the good, do you think all of them had the right clothing? No, they didn't. So what had to have happened? The assumption is that the king made provision. 
that in their best clothes on their best day, they weren't good enough to enter the feast. They weren't good enough to enter the hall. So the king had to make provision for them to give them a wedding garment that allowed them to come in and allowed them to be part of the wedding. And this guy apparently ignored the provision of the king and said, I can go to the wedding feast on my own terms. And what happens? His arrogance leads him to being cast out. Right? Are you with me on that? Now, do you see, are you beginning to see the imagery here? There are many people that think they can gain entry into the kingdom of God with their own garment on, their own good works, their own performance. But listen to me. God knew this. He knew that we were sinners and separated from him, and there's no way on our best day with our best attitude and our best clothes that we would ever get into heaven. So God provided And his provision was his son who was going to live a perfect, sinless life. And he was going to die on a cross and raise three days later from the grave. And that if we would take on his provision, then we would be allowed to get into the kingdom of God. Isn't that good? I mean, here's a guy that's cast out. And here's the message. If you think you can get on your own terms, you're wrong. And if you don't believe me, just go back and read Matthew 7. We keep going back to Matthew last week. Go back to Matthew 7. There's a group of people that show up and say, Jesus, didn't I do this and this and this in your name? And he said, I cast away from me forever, for I never knew you. You never took my provision. You thought you could get it on your own terms. And now your eternity apart from me waits you. And then Jesus concludes with a powerful statement. Many are called but few are chosen. Let me tell you what that means in context. The invitation goes to everyone, but few really accept it. Few really accept it. Now, I want to tell you, as we think about this story, I want you to think about it this way. There's good news and there's bad news. Here's the good news. You ready? Here's the really good news. All, everybody say all. All are invited to receive God's grace. It's not about a nation anymore. It's about individuals and everyone. For God so loved, what? The world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever. Now, who's the whosoever? All. All, right? All are invited. But we have to come to him on his terms, realizing that we are sinners and we're wretched and we're broken. And we need his provision. Like the king provided the wedding garment, we need his provision for our sin. What was that? Jesus. And we need to put our faith in Jesus. And we will receive then eternal life and eternal reward. That's the good news. You're invited. And all you have to do is come to him on his terms. Trust Jesus, your Lord and your Savior. And you will not only receive eternal life, but eternal reward. But here's the bad news. Many people don't receive the gift. Many people reject the invitation. You know why? Because they try to come to Jesus on their terms. They try to think they can work hard enough, be good enough. You know what? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, y'all look at Randy. Well, I'm a lot better than a Randy guy. And we get in this comparison trap where we think we can work and perform good enough that somehow God's going to go, oh, I got to let you into my heaven. You are so good. And we're wrong. And instead of receiving eternal life and reward, they receive eternal punishment and condemnation. That's the bad news. And so the question I want to ask all of us today, I don't know the answer for most of you, but I want us all ask this question. Have you received the invitation? The invitation to receive his grace. Have you, have you taken that invitation and go, I'm in? 
I know that, I, I know that I've accepted Christ. I've, I've confessed my sin and I've asked Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. I've surrendered my life to him. Have you accepted the invitation? And for some of you, maybe the answer is no. You're still trying to work your way in, and it's not going to work. That It doesn't happen like that. This parable reminds us you have to accept the provision of God, which is Son Jesus. So have you really ever accepted that invitation? And second of all, for all of you believers in the room going, yeah, I have. Whoa, this message wasn't for me. Oh, it's very much for you. Because what are you doing with that invitation? Are you offering it to anybody else? Are you going out and saying, you know what, hey, I've got friends, I've got neighbors, I've got family members, I've got coworkers who have not received the invitation. Are you going out and sharing that invitation with anybody else? Or are you just kind of keeping it to yourself? You're kind of hoarding it to yourself. Are you, express, are you taking that invitation and expressing it to other people that are around you? What are you doing with that invitation? If you receive the grace of God, shouldn't you be an agent going to offer the grace of God to someone else? What are you doing with it? So what I'm going to ask you to do today, all right? If you're not a follower of Christ today, in just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to accept Christ as your Savior. I'm going to give you a moment to say how I'm a sinner and I choose to be my Lord and Savior and surrender your life to Him. But if you're a believer today, I'm going to ask you to grab the insert that's in your worship folder today. If you don't have one, we've got some up here you can do in just a moment. And about a little over a month ago, I think it was August the 4th, was our Vision Sunday. At the very end of the message, I showed you a video. And you may or may not remember it, but I remember it because it's etched in my brain. That in our community where we live, there are 21,450 people who are disconnected from God and disconnected from church. And I ended that Sunday morning asking you, will you be the one who says, I'm not okay with that? Will you be the one? Will we have people in this body of believers that says, yes, I'll be the one to go make a difference? And I told you that day that for the rest of this year and then going into next year, we're going to keep coming back to that theme, will you be the one? And so today I'm asking you, Will you be the one? Will you be the one that takes what we're going to call a 261 challenge? That means two people, six weeks, one purpose. That over the next six weeks that you would pour your life into two people. And they may not have to be friends. They, don't have to, they may be your neighbors. They may be coworkers. They may be somebody you're like, I don't really know someone, so I'm going to put unknown because I want God to bring somebody into my life. Two people, not five, two people for six weeks. Because over the next six weeks, we're going to continue talking about his grace, and then we're going to talk about the end times in 24 and 25. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about urgency and sharing the gospel. Two people for six weeks with one purpose, to have a gospel conversation with them. Now, you said, Doug, well, what do you mean have a gospel conversation? You mean know the Roman roads? No, I'm talking about. I'm talking about engaging that person to where maybe you talk about how God has changed your life through Jesus and how he can change their life. Or maybe you say, hey, I mean, I go to this really cool church and, you know, got amazing worship and okay, preacher. And we, I'd love for you to come. And, and, you know, it's really making a difference in my life because when we go, I learned this, this, and this, and it's changed my life. Or maybe God just opens up a moment where someone's hurting and you're able to go talk to them and say, how, while you're missing something, I know what you're missing. Here's who he is. Two, week, or two people, six weeks, one purpose, to share the gospel. And I'm asking you as your pastor, everybody look at me, I'm asking you as your pastor, will you take this challenge? We don't do it all the time, but I'm passionate about this. Where I know we're headed in our sermon series and where we've been and what God wants to do among us, I'm asking you as your pastor to join me. Not just asking you to do it, I'm doing it. Will you join me in taking this challenge? Maybe you're a first-time guest, it doesn't matter. If you're a believer, would you join me in taking this challenge? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do if you're a follower of Christ. Over here on the left side, just put I and then put your name there. Commit to taking this challenge set before me so that the lost, 
Lost would hear and God would be glorified. So I'm committing to take this challenge. And then on the right side, I'm going to ask you to write down two names. And maybe you don't know those names. Just put a known. And then here in just a moment, I'm going to pray for all of us. And after I'm done praying, the band's going to be playing. I'm going to ask you to come up front to the altar with this card. And I'm going to ask you to tear it. It's perforated. Tear it. And lay your end, your name, on the altar. And take the other card with the two names and put it back in your Bible. Take it home with you. Because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take all the ones who put their name up here. And every day, I'm going to be praying for you. At least once every two or three days, I'm going to send you an email or text with scripture to encourage you about the task that's before you and how I'm praying God's provision and protection over you. So I'm going to be praying for you, praying with you, praying that God would open up. Because here's what I know. If you want God to open up the door to share the gospel and you pray, God, would you position me and would you create that divine moment? I guarantee you he'll do it. Because here's the thing. Why did the king tell the servants to bring anybody into the, to the wedding hall that could come? Why did he tell him that? Because the king has one desire. You know what it was? I want this place packed out. Do you think God just wants a few people in heaven? Or do you think he wants the place packed out? He wants it packed out. So you take the challenge. Your name goes on one. Two names going on the other. In just a moment, we pray. You come up to the altar. And you can pray over those names you want to. Tear it off. And just drop yours down here as your commitment to taking this challenge. All right? Now I'm going to ask everybody. Just stay seated for a moment. Every head bowed. And every eye closed just for a moment. And if you're that believer, I'm going to give you a moment in silence to take a moment and think about whether you're going to take this challenge or not. Think about those people that maybe you need to reach out to. So I want you just to take a moment. If you don't know Christ today, here's what I want you to do in this moment. Would you just pray and say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I've been trying to earn my way into heaven. But today I realize that's impossible. Today I realize I need your provision in my life. I need Jesus. And I surrender my life to you today. If you've made that decision, if you prayed that, the Bible says all who call on the name Lord shall be saved. And in your worship folder, there was a different card. This card you probably filled out when you came in saying that you were a first-time guest or maybe you just have a prayer request. Fill that out and say on the very back, there's a little place you can check saying, today I prayed that prayer. Today I gave my life to Christ. We want to celebrate with you. So we want to give all of you a chance, just a moment, just a minute, to pray. Will you take the challenge? Who will you go after? And if you need to receive Christ today, will you do it? In just a moment, I'll pray for us, and we'll continue. Father, we thank you for this moment. And I pray for those who don't know you as we go through this parable. Man, it's so rich. So much there. But I hope they walk away with this truth that the only way to enter the kingdom of heaven, the only way to have truly eternal life is by putting our faith in Jesus. There's no way other than Jesus. And God, I pray for those who maybe made that decision where they have the courage to acknowledge that so we can celebrate with them and even talk to them about making it public to the world. But God, I also pray for those that are believers in the room like myself, that as we talk about this, as we see this parable, that there would be something in us that go, yes, I thankfully have received God's grace. Thankfully, I know that I'm part of the kingdom, not because of what I've done, but because I've given my life to Christ.
But God, I pray that that creates an urgency inside of us to go after people. There's 21,450 people around us that are disconnected from you. And I hope that bothers us. And I pray for my friends and my our brothers and sisters in Christ that we would take this challenge of two people, six weeks, one purpose, and that's just to have a gospel conversation. That over the next six weeks, we would pray and read and invest in these two people with the ultimate goal sometime in that six weeks to share the truth about Jesus. God, may we be a church that rises to the challenge and may we be a church that's bothered by what Jesus said when he said the harvest is plentiful but the labors are few. May that not be said of Cross Life East. God, may we take this challenge and may we run with it. May we run and run and may we see you bring a harvest like we've never imagined before. Not because of how hard we work, but because how great you are. So God, be with us today. Give us the courage to take the challenge. For it's in your precious and your holy son name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. If you don't know Christ today, please take a moment, fill out that card, mark that, you accept Christ. If you're a believer today, as soon as they start singing, in fact, they're going to be singing a song that's going to be our anthem over the next six weeks about, Lord, here am I. Send me. Where you go, I'm going. I want to be part of what you're up to, God. But it starts with here am I. So if you're that believer in the room today and you want to take the challenge, the altar's open. Take that part that has your name on. Just drop it here so I can pray for you. As we go after the 21,450 people that are disconnected from him, would you respond today as the Lord leads you?